fashion ever is going ever to be like it was. And I'm not talking just about uh, this uh, pandemic, but also about the way people think. I just believe that Valentino gave an amazing study on beauty, proportions, details, quality, about dream, about imagination, about the fantasy, courage, never to be shy to wear something. That's what he taught to, to the world. I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me. It's so special to have you here for the third season of my Creative Conversations podcast. I have enjoyed reading your lovely comments and hearing from you all. I hope you've all been keeping safe and well since we last spoke. Whilst COVID-19 has been a subject which has been much discussed in my past episodes, we now have a new glimmer of hope with a vaccine which is promising news for everybody. Giancarlo Giametti is Honorary President of the Valentino Fashion House, which is a noble title, but it does not begin to unveil the history behind his world. The day the two young Italians met in a Roman coffee shop how a show in Florence introduced the name Valentino to America when Jacqueline Kennedy Anassis became a loyal customer along with a slew of famous movie stars. Giancarlo has been so much more than a business partner who shares with Valentino a passion for big boats and high mountains. The hypercultured Giametti, who had first studied architecture, has brought a sleek elegance to his famous homes where he has collected art and explored modern and contemporary work. Now that the Valentino company has an independent life, Giancarlo can look back at his many achievements from building both a mighty business and a personal Valentino family. I'm so pleased to see you, even if it's just digitally. It's a joy and a pleasure for me. I consider you to be the most elegant and stylish fashion figure always and forever. In 2006, you went into the Hall of Fame of the International Best Dressed List. What does that mean to you to be best dressed? I mean, I thought that we are going to have a, an interesting conversation and you start to, with talking about my clothes. <laughs> uh, okay, it's nice. Uh, I mean, I don't think uh, very much about it. I like uh, to dress well according my, to my taste. I don't know, not yet is very important uh, as a recognition that I am uh, the most elegant world uh, man. It's very interesting um, looking back and thinking about your history because I'm right, aren't I? I think you told me that you were just 20 years old and you wanted to be an architect and... You met Valentino, who was a little older than you, I think, 26. And 
you saved his business for him, that he was wonderful at design but couldn't run the business, and you completely redid it for him, quickly stealing the chairs from his fledgling fashion place in Rome and starting up a new business. Is that really a true story? It's a true story. This happened very strangely in the same building where I live now not in the same flat, but in the same building in Via Condotti. When I met Valentino, for administration reasons, we had to change the status of the company, and we opened a new company. So we left everything behind, except the clothes, which were due to Valentino, but not the famous chairs. The chairs were beautiful. They were an enormous quantity, maybe 50 chairs, all uh, Louis Cans in um, green velvet, I remember, and they were not uh, really ours. So we decided to steal it. One night I went with a truck downstairs in Via Condotti with a friend of mine, and one by one we charged the truck with those chairs and ran away. Have you still got them somewhere in one of your many houses? I don't know where they are. I think that they are not with us anymore. I don't know. Have somebody stole them? Probably somebody stole it. <laughs> um, Giancarlo, you know, you seem to me and to so many people quintessentially Italian. Are you able to define for me the elegance of your city of Rome? What does it mean to you? I mean, I'm not suggesting for a moment that you're mired in ancient history, quite the opposite. You have a very modern vision about life and art. So will you describe your home? Well, I know you have several of them, but describe this home that you're in now to me. First, Rome is my town where I was born. I grew up here. I studied 18 years uh, in the same college, priest college in Rome and then I met Valentino and I stay in Rome until 2008. Uh, resident, uh, different houses, uh, moving from my parents' house in a beautiful uh, road, uh, street called Viada in front of the Torlonia Museum and then on my own, the first little apartments, and finally in Via Condotti here, which I love because I am a quite a city guy. I don't like to live like Valentino does, surrounded by three kilometers, three square kilometers of green. I want to get out of my house and be with people, moving, shops, uh, uh, everything else. So I'm very glad to be here. My house here, of course, is a more Roman than the other houses. The structure is a palazzo, is, a, is an old palazzo, 17th uh, century. So I kept a bit of uh, antiques. I have a very modern painting here, like everywhere in, in, uh, in the world, in my other houses. But here I wanted to keep a bit more traditional and very cozy. I love here. So does it mean that you are very uh, Roman in a way, that you really feel like a Roman? I, as an outsider, don't really quite understand the differences. Of course, I understand the south and the north um, of Italy, but you feel, you call yourself, define yourself as a Roman. Is that right? Yeah, I do completely. And also, I tell you that getting older, I start to speak Roman much more than before. There is a lot of Roman accent in me now when I speak Italian, and I use a lot of Roman way of talking, you know, short 
cuts to um, conversation in Rome, which is fun. And um, I'm sure that when one gets older, it is um, coming back very much to his roots. So before we talk about your roots and before we talk about the many things that you've done in your long career, you must go back to the beginning, the story that we've heard so many times that you and Valentino um, went to the same cafe and the famous cafe looking out over Rome and um, there were no seats and so Valentino squeezed into a chair beside you. It was love at first sight and is this a real story right up to today? Is it what really happened or has it been something that's um, been glamorised over the years? Probably has been glamorised. It was very simple. I was um, sitting there waiting for a, a nightclub to open. Uh, it would open 11 o'clock, so it must have been 9 o'clock and that uh, 31st July of 1960. And the, the Via Veneto was uh, packed with people. You know, it was a time of the Dolce Vita. And the Dolce Vita was in that street, where was in those cafes. People would sit and look, I don't know, Gina Lolo Bridge, Sofia Loren, and uh, American actors passing by like everybody else so it was not terribly glamorous the problem is that there were no tables and thank God my father was very prominent in, in Via Veneto friend with all the owners of the cafe over there so I had an easy table and somebody came and they said to me are you alone? I said yes can we sit with you? We are three. I said, of course. And one of them was Valentino. It's very simple. And then we start to talk. I heard of him vaguely by my mother, maybe. I don't remember even. And I just know that he was a nice guy, full of dreams, full of hopes, a bit disappointed by the first reaction of the Rome snob uh, women to his fashion. And it was interesting. I was in, in architecture, so uh, already I had a kind of aesthetic in my mind. And then uh, I met him again one week later in Capri, and that's where everything started. When you look back now, after all, you've known Valentino for almost your whole life. What's the real difference in taste between you and Valentino? Um, I I'm thinking of art tastes, but I mean, there may be other things as well. It may be like when you want to eat and how you like rooms decorated. Um, what is the big difference or small difference? I think Valentino is, um, he has to surround by many things to make him uh, really happy by many people, by uh, a lot of stuff and a lot of decoration. I mean, I think I always discuss with him, I think we should clean up a bit your, your houses. I am a bit less on that, but we both love modern art. He has a, an amazing collection of modern art in the middle of his great furniture and object. I am a less of a furniture. I don't really care very much about an incredible piece, unless I like really as a decoration, but I'm not a collector of furniture. I'm not a collector of silver, I'm not a collector of uh, China. Valentino is collecting everything. The difference is this one. Before we talk about fashion, I want to talk about something that I know is very dear to your heart. I want you to talk about boats. Isn't that your real love? Boats on the water, the tang of the sea and the vast sky scattered with stars. 
And all my friends know that I'm not a boat person at all. I'm a mountain person, so I don't um, get attracted by the ocean. But explain to me, what is your great joy and love of the ocean? But first uh, is one of my great joy, because I love a mountain as well. I was a child when uh, uh, my school took me to ski. Uh, and uh, since uh, the 70s, uh, Valentina and I had houses also in the mountain. So I, lo- I like both. The fact of the sea, the fact to stay in a boat is a kind of freedom. Is uh, for example, this year with the problems of the virus, we were able to stay two months on the boat without meeting anybody. Because the moment you want to leave, you leave. You leave an island, you leave the, the, the people, you go on your own. That's the easiness of a move which makes a boat life unique. It's not so much about that sunset or this sunset. Of course, the beauty of some of Italian islands or the Greek islands are incredible, are fascinating, but it's not the only reason. I think it's a question of being free to go away when you don't want to stay. interesting to see how much you talk about um, beauty, about design, about all those kind of things. Because I always think that before the fashion conglomerates appeared in the 1990s, one person in a fashion couple had to look after the business side, while the other one was allowed to be creative. I mean, not talking about you, but with, for example, um, Yves Saint Laurent. I don't think many people understood that Pierre Berger, his partner, was extraordinarily cultivated. I mean, that only became apparent when he put some of his treasures up for sale. Is this your story too, Giancarlo? You're defined or have been in the past as Valentino's business partner, when really you have been and still are so much more than that. I, I grew next to Valentino. Of course, we share many experiences together. We learn a lot from fashion people, from society people, from entertainment, actor, artist. So we have more or less the same experience and same culture. Then our taste may be different, but I never been an inspiration like probably Pierre Berger was. I don't know, I don't know them. You know, Pierre Berger always was very uh, snob for against us. I mean, I remember that once uh, uh, Marie-Hélène de Rothschild asked him, oh, I love Valentino, you know, I have a jacket, oh, ça c'est pour les bourgeoises. You know, since then, I never wanted to see him again. And uh, the only thing that I can say, that I was for Valentino, what he was not for Saint Laurent. I was there, I've been there, I am there to support him in moments of glamour, in moments of success, but also in moments of depression or moments in which insecurity. And uh, that's the difference between the two of us. Um, I would like to talk about something now that everybody in the whole world who loves fashion simply loved. 
And that was The Last Emperor, that Valentino film that was so joyous and witty and full of love and full of fun. There was a real sense then, Giancarlo, of you and Valentino being good friends, not just with each other, but of the famous. Is that true or is it an illusion that you were actually friends as opposed to inviting people in for events? Uh, you know, fashion people are mixing with everybody who is successful. They all love fashion. The famous people, they all love fashion. There are some they don't care. But we are friends with friends. Uh, of course, being fashion, you are much more in contact with those people that your old friends uh, from school or things like this, but doesn't mean that you forgot them or you forget them or you don't talk to them anymore. I always uh, have a, a part of my heart uh, with a great friend of mine, and uh, you know some of them. You know Carlos, that uh, for 40 years was uh, <laughs> is with us, uh, Daniela, same, same thing, uh, Charlene, and all those people who are also friends. They are in fashion, yes, because I brought them there, but they are not famous or semi-famous. So I think it's a more the occasion that makes you being a uh, friend with uh, people who are well-known. Uh, maybe their quality is also something that attracts me uh, very much uh, because I like people who are successful. I like people who can tell me a story, tell me a way, or even teach me. You know, in life you never, you never stop. Look at me now uh, learning to do podcast from my assistant who is 22 years old. I mean, you have to be curious. You have to to, to move ahead. And uh, that's what we do. Uh, and about, talking about the movie, it's interesting that you say all the nice things about the movie, which is a great success. But the greatest success of the movie, for me, is when I was walking in the street after after the launch of the movie, which had a huge audience, stopped by people and say, who say to me, you know, we are gay. This is my partner. And until now, we were not able to say the word love between us in front of people. And your movie made us courageous enough to do it. This was an achievement in my life. Yes, it's extraordinary that you say that. And did it follow, was it followed up by other people saying similar things? Did you feel that you had in a way um, broken a, a barrier, particularly perhaps in Italy and being a Catholic country, or maybe over the world? And did you feel that you had helped to bring the barrier down? No, I didn't feel it, no. Just that they told me, because I never been in this situation for which I couldn't say the truth. And uh, I think Valentina and I started as a couple, and people accepted as a couple. We never been involved in movement, in, in gay pride, in that kind of stuff. So if we have been able to give our little input, our little help in people who are going through difficult in uh, coming out and coming out with a family in Italy, all over the world, is a great, because uh, I didn't feel like. Yes, it's, very, it's, it's a very fine thing to have achieved without trying too hard. 
back more to the beginning of the fashion shows because that Valentino show held in Florence in the Pitti Palace, that was 1964, have I got that right? You know, it was also an early example of how important Italy was becoming as a fashion world when it had always previously been dominated by France and Paris. So it was a pretty important moment for you, yes? You know, uh, Palazzo Pitti was uh, the place where fashion, important fashion would uh, show. So I went to see the guy who was uh, the organization boss, it was a Mr. Giorgini, Marchese Giorgini, a very famous fashion figure at the time. And um, uh, this was a bit earlier, maybe probably it was 1963. And he said, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I heard about Valentino. Do you want to show here? But I don't have a much good place in the calendar. You have to be happy to be at the last day, at the last time, which now is very glamorous because usually the designer like to show the last, the close, close the week. But the time was really a bit worrying because I thought that nobody will be there anymore. They all go back. And they were all the American buyers. They were all those people interesting fashion. In fact, they stay because they heard about Valentino. And I remember that we spent the entire night after the show writing orders, myself writing orders with Nima Marcus, with Sachs, Lordin Taylor, Bloomingdale's, all the major stores. And yes, that made Valentino famous. There was another dear friend of ours, Consuelo Crispi. Consuelo Crispi was representing uh, Vogue, American Vogue in, uh, in Italy. She did an enormous job for Italian fashion. She introduced uh, every designer to um, Diana Vreeland. Diana started to like to come to Rome at Valentino show and be there with us a few days. That's when we became really close friends uh, for all our life. And so there was a movement around the 63, 64, in which a certain moment, because Pitti, because Consuelo Crispi, because Diana Vreeland, because also the supermodels of the time, uh, one died a few days ago, an amazing supermodel called Isa Stoppi, which was one of the Benjamin of Mrs. Vreeland. She took to New York. She died one week ago. And uh, all those people made the Italian fashion important and exploded. Well, Giancarlo, I I don't think that you can leave outside here Jacqueline Kennedy or Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis as she became in 1968. And I believe for that um, wedding, you actually dressed her, Valentino dressed her for the wedding with... um, Aristotle Anassis, is that right? Sure. We didn't know that it was for a, for a wedding. She started to dress uh, in Valentino in 65, around 65. I know that uh, she was not f- after a long time after the president uh, murder. And uh, she started to dress uh, because Consuelo Crispi and her sister introduced us to her, and she started to get dressed. In the, in the wardrobe, she bought a, a beige lace dresses uh, without mention any wedding. And then uh, one of those uh, fashion uh, daily uh, called us and said, Mrs. Onassis, marry tomorrow. Do you know which dress uh, is she going to wear? 
and we say we have no idea, and they say, oh, she just went to buy a beige ruban for the hair. So probably is this dress they put on the cover without knowing if it was a dead dress. The newspaper was uh, Women's Wear Daily, of course. So you had this great design of Jackie Kennedy in that beige dress. Neither us or Women's Wear Daily was sure about. But just because a beige ruban, Jackie Kennedy was uh, an amazing ambassador for Valentino. She dressed uh, completely with him for several years. She took us with her and the Ari, Aristotle Onassis uh, around the world. Uh, we were in Greece, we were in Capri together. And, uh, she has been incredible. At the moment, she decided that she wanted to do a book on Valentino. And uh, she was working at, at the time for Double Day. So she said, Giancarlo, you have to come to Double Day. I want you to meet the, the editor. And uh, I was, uh, really, I was so young, I was 25, 26, which is not 25 or 26 or today. You understand? We are talking about the 60s. It's much different. So I said, okay. And uh, I went there, I mean, very, very uh, shy. And um, so there is a desk, there is a Mr. XY, the boss of Jackie ate a double day. I was in front of him and she took a little chair in the corner. You know, this is Jackie Kennedy. And, and uh, we start to discuss uh, and uh, the book never came out. It wasn't because of me <laughs> or was it for some other reason. I always guess. Looking at the bigger picture, because it's been a long, was a long run for you, how do you think that Valentino, and I'm talking here about both the man and the company, how do the clothes and the shows that you did over the years, how do they compare to today? Nothing can compare to today anyway. Nothing will be ever the same or then, or even the same a few years ago. I don't think that uh, fashion ever is going ever to be like it was. And I'm not talking just about uh, this uh, pan- pandemic, but also about the way people think. It's a very beautiful, you know, have uh, two million followers every day say, oh, why you're not working anymore? Why I cannot have your dress anymore? Why this? Why that? I'm not sure that people really would like to wear that kind of dress today. It's so different if you look how people dress, if you look how the event, what it became, how boring is a life without any joy in which you want to wear something extraordinary. It's very, very different to imagine uh, that uh, something like this could still be interesting today. I just believe that Valentino gave an amazing uh, study on beauty, study on proportions, study on details, study on quality, about dream, about imagination, about fantasy, 
how much courage never to be shy to wear something. That's what he taught to, to the world. You also both have succeeded in something which is pretty rare these days. You are, have stayed friends and even very supportive um, with your current designer, um, Pierpaolo Piccioli. And um, it's extraordinary to me that you seem to have succeeded. After all, I know Valentino um, company trained him and also trained Maria Grazia Curie, who's now at um, Dior. So in your fashion heart, do you think that the succession question is really about who can take over the original designer who's no longer wants to design or is no longer there? Is it always best handled by finding somebody within the company, not from outside? We have been lucky. We have been lucky and uh, we were not... uh really sure about this, so much that uh, immediately after Valentino resigned, there was another designer which lasted for two seasons. And then a certain moment, I remember, I was in Venice for the opening night of The Last Emperor, and Pierpaolo came and they say, uh, you know, I think that we would like to try, I think that we could do it, me and Maria Grazia. And they say, what are you talking about? You've been doing just some bags and shoes until now. How can you believe that this was possible? And then I went to Valentino. I say, you know, Pierpaolo proposed himself. And uh, Valentino say, oh, why not? They have been sitting in front of me for fittings for 13 years. Why Maybe they know more about us, about what I represent, than anybody coming from outside. So we have been very lucky also, because even if after Maria Grazia left, Pierpaolo uh, is doing his own uh, language uh, representing Valentino, sometimes more obvious, sometimes less obvious, sometimes I like more, sometimes I like less, but uh, we have been lucky, but uh, doesn't mean that in every house there is a, a Pierpaolo or Maria Grazia. Doesn't mean that uh, if uh, another designer would come, uh, wouldn't do a good job. I don't think there is a, a rule or a better to do this, because uh, most of the time I think uh, will be wrong. We had uh, the chance to find the people who really absorbed Valentino. Uh, Gucci had the chance to get Alessandro, who was inside, uh, and uh, who was there to learn at least a few fundamental things of Gucci. I think that those are two, probably, of the only um, example that inside the house there are talents who can take over. I wanted to ask you now, you and Valentino do seem to be very busy still with various events. I mean, obviously, um, COVID's made everyone's life so difficult. But I imagine that you're thinking beyond the virus, as we all are now that it seems much more hopeful. What 
can you imagine this time next year that you and Valentino might be doing something new or carrying through what you've been doing before? Have you thought about it? I don't think anybody in the world can answer to your question. Not just because and maybe this virus will last longer, this, not because of that, because in, inside we change so much. So when you will walk again in a street, will be the same rush of shopping, will go to an invitation. You really want to run there like before? I don't know. I cannot answer. I think everybody is in the same situation. We all feel that this is a moment when everything, the whole world, has literally changed. But um, the one thing that I think will continue, regardless of everything, will be beauty, the importance of beauty, the love of beauty, the um, admiration of people who create beauty. I think that's something you can't take away. Hope so. Hope so. Also because they are... You know, beauties and beauties. Each one of us has an idea of beauty. And today, most of the people have ideas of beauty which uh, are not the same idea of others. But we have to be happy just to think about what we like, what for us is beauty. And uh, I think that, uh, I hope the beauty will stay. I don't know whether your beauty will be on the waves as you look out from your boat or whether they'll be in the mountains as you um, look out. I don't know you well enough to know which one you'll choose. I will be in Rome for the moment. Very happy here, no mountain this year. This is my last question to you. Is it over the red carpet? You have been so much part of it. You have dressed so many famous people in a very elegant way. You've done so much for the world that has perhaps gone away? Or do you think that it's all going to come bouncing back again and it will be the same? Or is it going to be different, the red carpet world? Listen, if I would have answered to your question, I would make me pay because it's so <laughs> difficult. I have no idea that there will be again an opening of a movie or maybe a movie, you know. Have you, I'm going to watch tonight the opening, and it's true, eh, of The Last Vermeer, a movie that I've been invited to the opening. What does it mean? I have no idea. I will go because I like to see the movie. So everything is so different. How can we say there will be red carpet? How can we say that we need to do a tuxedo in, in, the, in the future? Again, Nobody knows. So the last emperor may have been the last emperor in the fashion world then. Maybe it's over, but not entirely. Not entirely. There is a lot of talents. And I wish, unfortunately, the talents that we have today, they are all independent. Most of them, they are not part of a company or their own company. So what will happen to them if the companies that hire them goes in trouble, like they are doing, they are going. Mm. And so many talents will need more help than before, that's for sure. Giancarlo, I'm going to let you go. You've been so open in your heart and in your words, um, telling me what I was so interested to hear. So goodbye and love to Roma. Thank you, grazie.
Giancarlo, what a powerful and touching story hidden behind your stylish elegance. I loved imagining your days on the sea in your boat or up there in the mountains, but I'm sure we can all feel your hard work and dedication to building the business and to Valentino himself. It was profound hearing you reveal how you helped bring together The Last Emperor, the movie, and how there remains pride in a particular and lasting moment when a couple stopped you in the street and told you that the film had made them proud to be gay. Those words meant as much to you as creating the House of Valentino, which has earned a place in history. In next week's podcast, I will talk to another supporter hidden behind mighty fashion wings. Andreas Kronthaler, husband to Vivian Westwood, now shares his name with hers on the label. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Jörg Zuber, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels. Music